you got to get passionate about this thing. If the cross doesn't move you, nothing will move you. I'm offering you something that's greater than silver and gold. I'm offering you something that's greater than an increase in your pay on your job. I'm offering you a... There's no shortcuts to the glory. We've got to get past week-to-week living. We've got to multiply our prayer life. We've got to multiply our efforts. And we are willing to give. God will always give it back to us in good measure. That is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Hey, thanks for checking out our Christian Life Church podcast. You will be hearing from one of our pastors or guest speakers, either at our Frankfurt or Lebanon campus. Prepare your hearts and your minds to receive a word from God. Thanks for listening. Enjoy and receive this message. you can be seated tonight. We'll get into the word of the Lord here in just a moment. We're thankful for each of you being here on this Wednesday evening and uh, we'll see what the Lord is going to speak to us tonight. I have a rather unusual, perhaps, uh, text and topic for Wednesday night, but I felt that uh, in my spirit this week and um, we'll see what the Lord say to us tonight. James chapter 5, if you have your Bibles, I'll just read one verse, verse number 20. You don't have to stand unless you choose to tonight. It's James chapter 5, and I'm going to read verse number 20, and I'm going to talk to you tonight about creating a growth culture, creating a growth culture, and I hope that this applies multi-level in our life. Not only I am speaking to the church tonight on creating a growth culture in our church, in our assembly, and that's the heart of the matter. But as I see what I'm teaching tonight, and perhaps if I would take the time, we could unfold this in different areas of our life and see where that this could become personal growth, personal spiritual growth in our lives. James chapter 5, verse number 20, let him know that he which covereth the sinner from the air of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sin. Every person that we can reach, every person that we do reach, we're not just reaching a person to add another number or fill a pew or fill a chair next to us or to join a team or a department, but we are literally saving a soul from hell. And that must be our mission and our goal. Lord, I pray your help tonight as I speak on the subject that you have laid upon my heart tonight. And I pray, God, that you minister your strength to us tonight, help my voice, help our hearts to be open to the word of the Lord tonight, to accomplish a purpose for which you have sent your word. For we thank you. And everybody said in Jesus' name. Amen. My focus of this lesson tonight is going to be on how the church shapes culture. And then I'm going to shift halfway through this lesson tonight and really take a focus on how we personally shape culture. And so we're going to look at this corporately and we're going to look at it individually if we have enough time tonight. Uh, This is a very broad subject and much of what I will be teaching I believe will relate to many areas of the church. We've been on a mission the last little while reaching to every person in the church and speaking a very clear word that there is room, there is a place for everybody in the church. And I hope when I'm done tonight that I once again support what I have been preaching and teaching 
over the last several weeks and maybe even months. And I will be I will do my best to stay focused on the point of creating a growth culture tonight. But I do want to speak to my heart about what I think it is going to take for us as a church uh, to become what God is wanting us to become. Because that's what really matters. It's not just being what we read in some book somewhere, some go to some growth seminar, but being the kind of church that God wants us to be. I never want to be ashamed of being a Jesus name apostolic church. Never want to be ashamed of that. And it's so important that we know who we are and why we are who we are and be able to tell somebody who we are and why we believe what we believe. And you can't don't get frustrated with me tonight if that's not you and you're not there yet. Just give it time through teaching and study and, and prayer. God will reveal himself to you and you, will, you too will understand more. Uh, I don't think there's ever a point that we reach in our spiritual walk that we can say, well, I've achieved and arrived and I don't need to know anything else. I believe we ought to constantly be growing in God and becoming stronger in the Lord and deeper in God and uh, with a deeper understanding of the Word of God. And so everybody's going to grow at their own pace. Everybody's going to grow at the pace uh, by which they have ability and understanding and comprehension. And a lot of factors come in, in play with your development and your growth. So when I preach and teach uh, in a broad spectrum like tonight, understand that everybody is going to be at a different point. We have some people here that maybe have just recently started your walk with God and some that maybe have a very long tenure in your walk with the Lord. And so wherever you are tonight, there is room and a place for growth in every life. If we ever believe that we don't need to grow, uh, we're done. We're finished. Uh, it doesn't matter how high level that you may reach in your job, uh, in, uh, in your leadership ability, uh, once you stop growing, you stop. And so there is always room for us to grow and to continue, but we must, we must as a church, regardless of the blessings of the Lord, we can look around us and talk about buildings and structures and properties and financial support, and we can look at all of these things, but truth, truly, it comes down to, as a church, how are we growing? Maybe we ought to stop asking people, how are you doing, because some people will tell you. And most of us, most of us have our own problems, and so you know we say, "Hey, how are you doing?" And we're hoping that they don't really tell us how they're doing, because if they do, it may take a while for them. I've had a few people that uh, you have too, because some of the same people, uh, they, they're like, "Well, you got about 15 minutes to sit down and let me tell you all my troubles and what I'm going through." So we all go through things. We all got our problems. Maybe we need to stop asking people how they're doing and start asking them, "How are you growing?" You ought to start, start asking them, how are you growing? Because we understand that we're not everything we ought to be, but are you growing? And that's the main thing, are you growing? I've been watching uh, as springtime comes. I love this time of the year. Spring is coming, and uh, or here, maybe I should say, and I watch the trees, and I've circled a lot a few times. And we've had a little issue. There are three trees out at the beginning of the parking lot just when you first turn in off the road uh, on the east side of the drive. Those three trees, I think the ones there now are dogwoods. We've had a couple of different versions of trees there. I think this is maybe round two or round three. Maybe somebody could correct that. Uh, we've, we've put some different trees out there, and for some reason that area, I don't know if it's the soil, if it's the shade, I'm not sure what the deal is, but we've had a difficult time getting trees to grow there. And the trees that are there now are responding much like the trees that were there before, meaning the tree to the far north is the tree that appears to be dying the quickest and in, in consecutive order toward the south. And the last trees that we planted there were whole different versions. They put these trees out because they're supposed to be able to do better uh, in, in uh, the shade that the, that the large trees to the east of them are. And so I've been watching them, and I'm watching them as they are sprouting and as they're coming out. And uh, I've been concerned because um, some of the trees are, are not, not doing as well as others. And 
some are blossoming and blossoming and they're 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 doing wonderful but but there is something about the soil evidently maybe it's the moisture content maybe it's the soil itself maybe there's something in the soil that we don't want to know about and uh, we'll leave that there uh, but something is affecting the growth of trees and uh, if you drive around, you're going to see some of the shrubs are doing really well, and some of them maybe not doing quite as well as others. There's a couple that didn't make it through the winter time. There was something got a hold of them in the winter, and they never came back. They they never they never flourished. So, uh, looking at this, it has had my mind on what does it take for these trees to go through seasons, and of course, winter is hard. Uh, on everything, and they go dormant during a space of time. But then when spring comes, they're to come back out and flourish and to grow, and fruit trees are to put on fruit, and flowering trees put on flowers, and whatever the purpose of them may be. But in this season, we are looking for growth, and what I'm noticing is that every tree is developing, coming out, developing its leaves and growing, different rates. But we know this much, we are in the season of growth. It is the season for rebirth. Anybody with me tonight? It is the season for rebirth. And this is where I'm coming from tonight because I understand everybody in this room are at different seasons and dealing with different things. I was talking to uh, Brother Finney and I were texting today and of course Sister Hackler has been in the hospital um, they almost lost her earlier this week, and she's un- undergoing a lot of testing and trying to figure out exactly what's going on. And they have is put a pacemaker in, and they they called me because they didn't. We weren't quite sure. The family had been called. Everybody was there, and um, so I, I connected with Brother Danny, and he and I made a quick trip over to the hospital and spent some time there with the family. And today, Brother Finney reached out to me, of course, and. Uh, shared with me yet another tragedy. Of course, two weeks before Sister Hackler was put in the hospital, uh, Brother Hackler was put in the hospital. And he had never had surgery, never been in the hospital now in his 80s and going through a surgery. And it was a setback for him. And now Sister Hackler in the hospital and um, in very, very serious condition in ICU. Brother Finney reached out to me today and he said, Brother Jordan, I hate to, to, to reach out to you, but we, we got another issue of sickness in our family and he said my daughter was hospitalized today and she also is uh, awaiting uh, an emergency surgery but she is critical enough that they can't do surgery for two or three days and they got to get her better before they can do surgery he said I it just I mean things are not good their family is going through a season family's going through a season Matt uh, and Rachel Miller uh, Matt reached out to me this week several things that's all happening at one time that's coming down on them and difficulty and struggle uh, in life. They're in, they're in a season. It's a season. But uh, that season won't last. And for this church as a whole, while individuals are going through seasons, I do believe that we are in a season of breaking forth. We're in a season. We're in spring. We're in a season of coming. We've been through some dark seasons. We've been through a season of loss. We've been through some seasons of struggle. We've been through some difficult seasons. But I feel in the Holy Ghost that God is bringing about a new season in this church that is a season of growth for every one of us and for us as a church as a whole. And so with those prefacing remarks tonight, I I want to move into the subject matter that I really feel to talk to you about tonight, and that is developing a growth culture because as we understand the season, there is a responsibility that is upon us, and that is to develop a growth culture. We are developing culture with everything that we do. Every action is developing culture or the lack thereof. This is why we must always be attentive to everything that we're doing because you are developing culture in your home, in your family, in your daily life. If you want to develop the culture of prayer in your life, it is up to you. you got to get up and pray about it. It doesn't happen automatically. We can't blame 
others if the church is not what we think it ought to be. If the church is not what we think it ought to be, if we start pointing our fingers at others, the question is, are you, are you part of the church? We are creating church culture that exists in our church. Our actions, everything that we do is developing or what we fail to do is training and shaping culture for the future. And when it comes to shaping culture uh, in the church, the truth is, is we, there are no free days. There are no days off in shaping culture. Now, I, I'm, now I'm not saying that you don't need to take time off because rest is important. I wish I'd have got a stronger amen to that. Because some days I feel like I need some rest. Sister Cheryl asked me a few weeks ago, she said, what does the Sabbath look like for you without your convictions to make that hard? Because she said, I think you're working every day. Uh, sometimes we do need rest. Um, so I'm not talking about rest when I say that there's no days off. What I'm saying is, is that every action, everything that we do, somebody is watching you and somebody is following your example. Whatever you want this church to be, um, even the way we treat downtime and breaks and, and vacations and everything we do is shaping culture in our family, how, how we respond and, and what we do. Everything we do because it speaks to those who are following us or watching us in our lives. God never intended for the culture of society to shape the church. Now, I'm not going to get on a soapbox tonight and talk to you for a while about some things I could talk about how that I do see widespread around the country. I see churches that are being so affected by the culture of the world. God didn't put the church in the world for the church to affect the for the, for the world to affect the culture of the church. He put the church in the world to affect the culture of the world. That's why he said you are the salt and the light. Everything we touch ought to change. You are the light of the world. Everywhere we go, we ought to be affecting those that are around us. If you're prone to be one just to get along, go along to get along, and you're just trying to fit in with everything and everybody and get along with everything and not make any waves and not counterculture, regardless where you are, if you're at work or wherever you are and you're just like, oh, you know, I'm just going to go along, you will never make an impact in this world. But as a Holy Ghost-filled child of God, we have a responsibility to put both feet on the floor and declare, this is not the culture for my home, for my family, for my life, or for my church. If our church is going to continue to grow, it's not going to happen by accident. We have to shape and form a growth culture for our church. I spoke to a group of leaders a few months ago and one of the things that I told them was this. You will not be able to complain about the church in the next two to three years. You're the leaders. And what the church becomes in the next two to three years will depend on you. You can look up here and say, well, I agree, everything starts at the top. Everything starts. As goes leadership, so goes the church. I agree with all the above. But I am going to tell you this. You have to make up in your mind that I'm not going to get two or three years down the road and look back and talk about yesteryear and how great it was. Because that excuse doesn't, that doesn't get us anywhere. What we've got to do, if we want to have a praying church, then we need to be a praying people. If we want a worshiping church, then we're going to have to be a worshiping people. If we want a loving church, we're going to have to be a loving people. You're not going to have a peaceful church and be a gossiping church at the same time. You've got to make up your mind, what kind of culture am I going to have in this church? So if we're going to be a growing church, we're going to have to have a growth culture. Our actions.
actions or our lack of actions, our aggressiveness or our passivity are creating culture for our future. You don't have to answer this out loud, but I want you to ask yourself, if I am responding the way that I want the church to respond in two or three years, how do I see this church in two or three years? What does volunteerism look like in this church in two or three years? What does the financial climate of this church look like? Am I a giver? Am I a prayer warrior? Am I a worshiper? Am I faithful? Am I setting a standard of faithfulness? Influencers are always ahead of everybody else. And I chose Wednesday night. You know, I've shared this with you before, but I'll share it again because I still think it's funny every time I tell it. Somebody said this to me a long time ago. They say, you know, if they come to church on Sunday morning, they love the church. If they come on Sunday night, they love the preacher. If they come on Wednesday night, they love God. It just always, it just, it, 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 it's the reason it's so funny to me is because it's true. And I know I'm talking to a saved group of people that's in this house tonight. And for the most part, I'm talking to people tonight that's been in and around the church. We do have guests with us. God bless you. Thank you for being here. Give me another chance. But I'm going to talk to the saved church that's here that's been here for a while tonight and tell you that, that whatever this church is going to be, you've got to make up your mind that it is up to me. And I'm talking to influencers and leaders, and I know we have teachers in classrooms with students tonight, and, and, and it's hard. Sunday night's the only time we get everybody together, uh, and, and then we don't get everybody together. Oh, no. I thought you were going to make laughs when I it's up to you what you want this church to be like. Influencers are ahead of everybody else because they're leaders. Leaders are never behind. Leaders have to be in front. Most people will reproduce what they see from whomever they are looking for their influence. How many of you was ever were ever part of the Lebanon Karate Dojo Church in those days. How many of you remember? Remember the Karate Dojo? What What do you remember about the Karate Dojo? The daggers on the wall? Having to walk around the mat to get into the little room we packed in to have church? You know what stands out to me about the Karate Dojo? Were the mirrors. Because you know what I discovered? Mirrors don't lie. I'm in there worshiping, and I looked in the mirror, and I thought, whew, I don't know who that big guy is, but he could use a diet. <laughs> Who's that old gray-haired guy? <laughs> that was me. The Lebanon mirrors taught me something. We're in there worshiping or not worshiping. Look in that mirror, and you can see, oh, is that what I look like? I've often said a few times on certain subjects that I'm teaching that I would like to just be able to push a button. This could be a good idea for the future. It might catch on in church culture, and other churches may do the same thing and follow. You know, we have stage lights and big screens and all this stuff that we spend money on. But we could just, I don't know that it would cost that much. We could just put mirrors up in there so that you could look up and say, is that what I look like when the preacher's preaching? Karate Dojo taught me something. We're in there worshiping, and I'm looking at myself, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. Somebody said to me one time, if you want to be an excitable preacher, then you're going to have to be excitable. You are how you act. And we can come in and say, well, I thank God, man, I'm part of a worshiping church. Are you a worshiper? Or are you relying on everybody else to be a worshiper? 
we have a praying church, do you show up to prayer meetings? Are we, are, are we relying on 50 or 60 or 80 other people to show up for Monday prayer? I'm just going to lay it out like it is tonight. We are deciding the kind of church this is going to be by our response. A moment ago I made the statement that there are no days off in establishing church culture. Here's the issue. is Real influence, real influencers don't have the luxury of disengagement because of circumstances. I touched on this the other night. And I'm going to touch on it again tonight just in case some weren't here when I touched on this a few nights ago. But I don't think that God calls us to do a work for him or calls us into the kingdom of God for us to be up one day and down the next. I don't see kids going around with yo-yos all the time that I have gone to church with before. They're up one moment and down the next. Up one moment and down the next. Up one moment and down the next. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I think we need to level out a little bit and get stable and get steadfast and get anchored. God doesn't change because of circumstances. The joy, I, I know I've taught and preached this for I think the end of this month's about 20 years that I've been the senior pastor of this church, and so you've heard it a whole bunch from me. But I'm, I'm going to tell you that, that God didn't call us to be up one day and down the next. The joy of the Lord is our strength. I get that. Some of us get caught up in, in if we feel good, that's called happiness. We're happy because good things happen. But we need the joy of the Lord. Joy is not based on what's going on around us. Joy is based on the knowledge that I am his and he is mine. And he's on my side in the good days and the bad. So my worship and my prayer and my faithfulness is not based on happiness. It's based on joy. Happiness is based on happenings. What's happening in my life? I'm having a difficult day, but I'm not going to take it out on God. I'm not going to take it out on my faithfulness to God or the house of God or my worship or my prayer. When bad things happen, and they will, when bad things happen, we have to adjust the sail of our ship to make the best out of the direction of the wind. I have never been able to understand this. I'm not a sailor. I have been around water a lot. I own a boat. I enjoy going to the lake. I enjoy being around water. I have never, I've been on a sailboat before, but I don't understand the dynamics of a sailboat. I mean, of course, I could put a, a big sheet up in the wind and understand the principle that it moves, but what really gets confusing is when the wind's blowing out of the south and a boat's going north. how those sails, I don't, I can't explain to you, even though I have somewhat of an engineering mindset, I can't explain to you the process of how that happens, exactly how that works. I, I don't understand it. Maybe somebody here can explain it to me after service. I don't really care. I'm just making a point, all right? Don't take 20 minutes of my time to explain how it works, because this works good for me every time that I teach this, all right? So not knowing is better for me. I love it when you laugh at things that aren't very funny. I watch a sailboat going to, somehow that sailor knows how to adjust the sails to where it catches the wind just right, and even when the wind is against it, it's able to go the direction that they want to go. Now, it might not always be in a direct route because my understanding of how that works from some individual, the last time I talked about this, the, the way it actually works is that it catches, it catches the wind just right, and they may not be able to go due north, but what they do is they're making progress. And then they turn back, and then all the while they are constantly moving forward. Come on, bad things are going to happen in your life. Trouble is going to come to your life. 
issues are going to come, all sorts of things. In this life, you are going to have problems. Life is a few days and full of trouble, but you've got to learn to adjust the sail and say the direction. The goal hasn't changed. My eyes are on the prize. But today, I'm going to sail. But I, I may not be sailing in a direct path, but I'm adjusting the sail for what's going on in life. But God is still directing my path to where he's wanting me to go to. And so we sail on. One of the things that I've taught our leadership team, and I've spoken many times in this pulpit, is that everything speaks. Everything speaks. We often say, Sister Brenda Campbell and I, we, she used to laugh all the time because I, anytime she was doing a project, she would say, I know, Pastor, I know we don't do ugly. And that was always her term, we don't do ugly. That was always the thing. And so that kind of stuck, and, and I kind of got this, this, uh, this, I don't know what you call it, but uh, I, I got this reputation. But everything, everything speaks. The way we do what we do, how we do, everything speaks. Everything has a voice when it comes to shaping culture. Are you with me? Am I okay? Everything speaks. Everything speaks, particularly when it comes to growth. Everything speaks. This is why that attention to detail is very important. Because everything speaks. And so it matters. We pay attention to detail. If we become too casual, we will create an atmosphere and a culture that is so relaxed that commitment will go out the door. If we become too formal, we will create a culture that is so rigid and cold that nobody will feel loved and warm. So attention to detail is important. I'm going to give you four important areas related to growth that I believe speaks the loudest in the church. The first thing that I'm going to speak of tonight, the first culture of the church that I'm going to speak of that I believe speaks loudly is our culture of holiness. This is not something that I approach overly often. I don't think I, uh, as my dad used to used to call it, uh, clothesline preaching. Um, I'm not even going to address that tonight, but I don't consider myself a clothesline preacher. Anybody know what that means? Am I up here all by myself tonight? But I do believe that our culture of holiness speaks. The question that I have and I do believe in inward and outward holiness. And I believe that holiness is more than what you wear and how you dress. I covered this just a few days ago. Holiness also is found in your attitude and in your spirit. Because I've seen a whole lot of people that are too holy to have a smile on their face. That's not holiness. I've been in restaurants with some people that wouldn't dare dress unholy, but their attitude to the waitress was so nasty I was embarrassed and wanted to walk out. That's not holiness. The way you treat your neighbor has to do with holiness. Uh, I know some of you tonight may not like what I'm, what I'm going to talk about tonight, but I do believe in more than just outward holiness, and, and, and I, I don't have to have to preach a whole lot in this church about these things because you're a holiness church and I understand that. But everything that we do speaks and our attitude toward holiness is so very important. How we approach holiness and separation speaks. Does our holiness also include a measure of growth? Does our holiness include a measure of restoration? Do we really believe that one can be restored? A rigid or dogmatic culture toward holiness, as well as a casual or non-essential approach to holiness, will catch on and affect 
not only the youth and the generation to come, it will also affect new converts. So we have to strike a good biblical and godly balance very prayerfully on how we're going to approach the subject of holiness and separation. Either approach can create issues. What kind of culture of holiness is this church going to have? I'm not talking about what I preach. I'm talking about what you're willing to live. I'm going to meddle just a little bit. Because some folks are of the opinion it doesn't really matter what the preacher preaches or teaches or what we set as a standard for the church because me and mine can live however we want to live and it doesn't matter to us. You are establishing the culture of holiness for this church. You've got to decide where we stand. There are some things that we must put our feet on the ground and establish that this is the line where we're going to draw it and where we're going to live. This is the culture of holiness for me and my family and for the church that I am going to be part of. I wish I'd get a stronger amen out of you when I talk about this tonight. Because either approach can either offend or it can cause new converts to falter. Either way. Either way. Please don't take this teaching wrong. Because you know I teach and preach holiness and separation to the world. But it's not the first thing that is going to happen when new people show up at our church. Not the first subject I'm going to approach. Our culture intentionally needs to give God some time. To speak to the heart. We need to give time to allow people to fall in love with God and build a relationship with God and build relationships with people and build relationships in the church before we begin talking about the majority of things that some of us call holiness. Some time ago, I had a young pastor call me, and I'm, I'm at that age now, I guess, where young pastors call and say, what do you do, how do you do? Last week, I was almost offended when literally the pastor older than me called me, and he said, elder, and he wasn't kidding. He thought I was older than him. And he said, I have an issue, and I need to ask you about it. And he was asking me, and I felt awkward. Before we got off the phone, I said, wait a second, before we hang up, Next time you call me, don't call me elder. And he said, well, I'm paying respect. You are my elder. I said, how old do you think I am? And he said, I don't know. He said, but I'm 63. I said, I'm 55. Do not call me elder. <laughs> and I had a young man. He was a newer pastor. He'd only been pastoring probably less than a couple of years. And um, he, he said, hey, I want to send something to you. And he sent it over. He said, I want you to look over this and see what you think. He said, um, you know, I really feel like we need to take a real strong stand of holiness in our church. And uh, we're going to set this standard. And he said, I want you to look over this and I want you to see what you think about it. And I opened that thing up and it was a list of do's and don'ts. And I'm thinking, my Lord, I'm not sure if Jesus could live up to this. And I said, where are you planning on implementing this in your church? And he said, before we baptize somebody, I want them to sign this if they're going to live up to this. And I said, oh, Lord, have mercy. Do you have a few days to come over and visit with me in my office? Because we need to talk. I need to try to help you a little bit. He was wanting to present all of the new people with do's and don'ts and have them, have them line up to all of his ideas before they even are baptized in Jesus' name. Of course, I didn't agree with him, and we discussed the cultural issue that he was dealing with. And when it really all came down to it, here's what had happened. When I really got to the bottom of all of it, he was pretty worked up about it. And the reason he was so worked up about it is because somebody moved in. Somebody in his church, moved, somebody moved into his church, a small church just getting off the ground. Somebody with gifts and talents moved in, and they 
told him the way they thought things ought to be and where the way he ought to be teaching and preaching. And they are the one that suggested that. And so he was coming forward with this idea that he was going to come and what he was going to do. And I said, listen to me, brother. I'm going to just speak on a little bit of longevity. You can't allow somebody to come in to your church and tell you where you're going to draw lines and where your identity is going to be. If so, the next thing you're going to do is you're going to have somebody come in that doesn't believe fat meat is greasy and they're going to put pressure on you to go a different direction and then what are you going to do? You've got to put your feet on the ground, grab the word of God and say, this is how I'm going to preach. This is where I'm going to stand. This is what I believe and this is who we are. here for a little space of time and he came to me one night and he was terribly upset and uh, he came to me and said I've been in this church for six months and never heard you preach whole word and I said you're going to have to stay away from the word of God I really do I said you've got to start staying away from the word of God he said I went through an entire six weeks series called the Why Series. Some of you may remember that from Delphi Avenue when I taught through the Why Series. I answered the questions of why, why, why. I said, I, I taught six weeks. And he said, oh, I wasn't here for any of them. And I said, but don't, don't challenge me on not preaching to people. He said, well, he said, I'm, I've been watching some of the people in this church. He said, I've been coming to church for six months here. And he said, there's some people that I've seen and they just haven't lined up to the standard that I've believe they ought to line up to in the last six months. And he said, I think that you need to do a little word enforcement. And he's kind of throwing some weight around and letting me know how much he gave in the offerings for what he did around the church and what how powerful he was and how important he was. And he started sharing with me some of those things. And he said, uh, he said uh, I think that you need to establish something that if somebody comes to this church, we have six, six months to line up to this status. And if they don't line up to this status in six months, you need to ask them to leave. I said, you're out in a farming culture. Don't you think an advantage makes advantage? I said, does a fig tree, a pear tree, and an apple tree all planted at the same time and at the same age, do they produce fruit at the same identical time? He looked at me. I said, if you plant a bean and corn, do they put the fruit on at the exact same time? You know what Jesus said? Jesus said, let them grow up together, for in the end, he will separate the tares from the wheat. We can't come in. People come from different backgrounds. There's some people, I, I'm going to tell you what Sister Vesta Mangan said one time. i got to be careful. i got to be careful. I better not. Sister Vesta Mangan made a statement one time. She was dealing with all sorts of issues in the church. And they were dealing with issues. She and her husband were dealing with issues in the church. And she made some statement somewhere along the lines of, if you understood where some people came from and the culture and the lifestyles that they came from, that you would just be happy to know that this is what they're doing today. See, if you knew where some people come from, there's people that have come from all different walks of life. I was born and raised. This is all I've ever known. I grew up on an apostolic Pentecostal church pew. This is all I've ever known. My dad was my pastor. When I was born, dad was pastor. And all I've ever known is church. I don't know anything about the culture of, of the world. I don't know about the drug scene and the alcohol scene. I, I didn't come. I'm not coming to you with a pharisaical attitude. I don't know anything about that, that lifestyle. I know a whole lot about the church. I was born and raised and been around it all of my life. I know a lot about it, but I do know this much. There's people that come from different backgrounds and different lifestyles. It's going to take them 
a little longer to get some things worked out in their life than it is somebody else. Come on, let's grow up together. We're going to create a culture that gives people time for God to deal with their heart and for God to lead them. And we are going to set an example. We can't let it run in neutral. We have to be an example to them. We have to establish the culture of this is who we are. We are one God, apostolic, holiness, believing people that loves God, believes in prayer and worship and faithfulness. But it's up to us. Our holiness culture matters in how we approach it matters. I won't be too much longer. I, I'm, I'm not going to get through all this lesson tonight. The second thing I'm going to talk to you, the, the second thing that speaks so loudly, I'll try to get through these four and I'll stop there and not, not move on to what else so that we can have time to study. The second thing that speaks so loud is our preparedness when it comes to ministry, preparation for ministry. This speaks very, very loudly. It's a key component to a growth culture. It's being prepared. If we're not prepared, we send a message to everybody that doesn't really matter. If growth matters, our preparedness for growth or the lack thereof says whether growth is truly important to us or not. Our building is prepared before we ever get here for some reason. It shocks me the number of people that don't have a clue all the work that goes in behind the scenes. Do you know that every Monday morning that... You know, I can keep tabs on who's in the church and who's not now because of all the security system that we have. And every Monday morning, usually pretty early, sometimes before I'm even out of bed, my alarm will go off and somebody's at the church. Brother Tom Clark's up here. You know what he's doing? He's picking up all of our tissues from the night before and water bottles and you name it. Sister Nancy Emery's up here cleaning staff are coming in, working, laboring, putting things together. Somebody, you know those chairs you set in that you walk in and push around before service? You know somebody did straighten those before you got here? They don't just straighten themselves. That all actually happens. There's people working behind the scenes, people volunteering. You know, when we get up and talk about 50 Bible studies being taught or whatever it may be, do you know that those don't just teach themselves? That's real people sitting down with the Bible teaching real people the truth. Our music rehearsals, they're important. I thank God for a church that's willing to prepare. This is why that we do these things because our preparedness or lack thereof speaks. I don't want people to arrive just before church and we're out here cleaning the church. Oh, well, we weren't sure if anybody's going to come, so give me just a minute. We're going to clean things up around here for you. If I ever come over to your house, don't be guilty of this because I know my wife and I sometimes we'll be sitting around the house and somebody will call and say, hey, we're going to stop by your house. And I want you to know you have never seen anybody move as fast as my wife and I can move around our house cleaning that place up. Just hope you don't open the closet and see all the piles of things that we got in there. Because we're just with the house is clean. I'm trying to make a point tonight that our preparedness matters. We try to have our music rehearsals try to end 30 minutes before service. You know why? Why don't people come in and we're still trying to get the part right? Because preparedness matters. See, I grew up in a church. Maybe why this is so important to me is because of the trauma that I grew up in. My dad was a great man. He loved people and people loved him. He established and grew six churches in my lifetime. And I, I, I honor him and respect him. And he did what I could have never done. But he pastored a little different than what I pastored. I grew up in a church where people, they would just call up on the phone and say, Brother so-and-so, you got a song you like? But just come on up here and sing. You know the old pianos, the piano benches? Those musicians know this. Not everybody probably knows it. If the students were in here, they would have no clue what I'm talking about. But the piano benches, they are the top would always, the, the seat would lift up, and under them was about a four-inch and I've never seen a piano bench that's not running over. Right? And they're just packed full. I, I've seen people get called on. They come up. They open the piano bench. Church is just sitting there waiting for the song. They're fumbling through. 
The husband's over there on the guitar. Got it out of the case. Give me a G. They get up there, praise the Lord. Three minutes later, they're ready to start singing. I thank God for preparedness. You know, it speaks if somebody shows, if, if you invite people to your house and people show up, there's one thing that I'm always, my wife is so good at this. She's always like, Dave, I need you to, I need you to go get some chairs out. You go to the garage and get these chairs out. She said, we're, we're supposed to have 14 people over and I only have 10 chairs out. You go get five chairs. Instead, we're having 14, we got 10 chairs out. Get five chairs. Somebody might show up that we're not expecting. Because if somebody walks into our home, we don't want them to feel like we weren't expecting. When a guest walks in the door, I don't want to say, hey, could somebody get some, get some greeters around here and some ushers around here? Everything speaks. You want to know why we do what we do? I know we have guests here tonight. I've, I've already apologized once. I'll apologize again. Forgive me. Give me another chance. I'll preach better next week. We have parking spaces that say guests. You know why? Because when a guest pulls in, we want them to know we were expecting you, and that's for you. And sometimes we have empty parking spaces out there. That's a shame. We need to do a little better job evangelizing, but I want them to know if they pull up, that's for you. And when they get to the door, you know what? You can open the door on your own, but you know what? I love it when I see somebody out there holding the door open saying, we are expecting you to be here tonight. God bless you. Thank you for being here. And people are shaking hands and seating and ushers are ushering. And people are doing what they're going supposed to do. Hey, that speaks. You know what we're trying to do in this church? Since COVID, I, I have a hard time keeping up with where our membership is. I don't even know for sure where our membership is right now. Maybe somewhere in the 275, close to 300. It was over 300 before COVID. Here we are, 275 members, whatever it may be that, that, we, uh, that we have on our membership role. I challenge the church this year. We are going to build an organizational structure and leadership in our church for a church of 500. Well, why in the world would you want to do that? Because if we wait for 500 to get here before we start planning and preparing, they're never going to get here. But you know what preparedness says? I got faith to believe that if we evangelize and God sends them, we're going to disciple them, and this is where we're going to. As a church, we must be ready. Preparedness speaks. Number three, the third thing that speaks so loudly is the level of commitment to ministry we have in our Almighty God. Our level of commitment to ministry involvement, everybody should be giving back in one way or another or a multiplicity of ways. This is why small groups, Bible studies, change groups, and the list could go on and on and on. All of our different ministries, not much speaks any more loudly to growth preparedness than involvement in ministry. When the people in the church are saying, I am part of a ministry. I want to be part of a ministry. And maybe more than one ministry. The culture that we are promoting is for everybody in the church to have a place where they can be part of what is going on outside of just coming in and sitting on a pew and leaving every Sunday saying, I, I, I punched the clock for the day and I was here. You need to be working in a place that you fit and fits you where you can be effective in reaching your world. If we're going to grow our important, it is so important that our ministry involvement becomes paramount in our life. I want to be plugged in. I want to be, I, 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 I want to be, I want to be part. We established small groups two or three years ago. 
and they have been catching on slowly. They kind of started great. We kind of backed up and re- regrouped, and now they're beginning to grow in a, in a new in a new and a fresh way. It's a way for us to be able to fellowship. I'm hearing of small groups having people. I heard of one of our prayer meetings the, that, that has people that are that are just coming in, people requesting, people in our city, in our community that's saying, hey, am I allowed to come to that? And they're able to come. I'm talking about leadership in our community that are saying, I want to come be part of that. Talking to somebody else that has an activity group, that their friend that they've been reaching to a business owner in town, it's It's a way for them to reach them. They said, hey, I want to be part of that small group. It is a way for them to get around us and learn that while we're Jesus' name, apostolic, holiness, loving people, that we are real people that love people and that we're good and and, and not weird and not going to do something off the wall. We're developing culture. I've got to hurry. I'm out of time. They speed that clock up on me every Wednesday now. Bible studies have become a huge foundation for CMC. One-on-one Bible studies being taught. I drive up here. I seek large parts in Bible studies. Sunday mornings, our, our group Bible studies, our change group that is in one of our younger ministries that's catching on and people from the change group that's growing and, and becoming healthier in many ways. Involvement in ministry reveals our level of commitment to the local church and our commitment to grow. Ministry involvement is the culture of our future. There is a place for you, and we want you involved. The fourth area that speaks to the culture, that speaks to culture very loudly, is an area that is of paramount, and it is the culture of prayer. It is the culture of prayer. And I'm going to end with this only because I'm out of time, not because I'm out of preaching material. And I didn't intend to end here tonight, but it's a good place for us to end. But the culture of prayer must always be at the forefront. Let me tell you about prayer. The moment that you take your attention off of prayer, prayer will cease in your life. Prayer is something we have to stay focused on. You have to stay at work on. You have to decide. You have to discipline yourself. Come on, somebody, you're in good company here. Sometimes we have to discipline ourselves. You know what we'll do? We'll say, well, I'll pray when it's all done. I'll pray at the end of the day. I'll pray, God, I'm too tired tonight. I'll pray tomorrow. And we'll put it off. But we have to discipline ourselves, set it aside, and say prayer is going to be the culture of my life. We must be known and we will be known as a praying church. We must be a praying church. Our active involvement in prayer ministry is so important. That's why on the first Monday of every month, we start out the month on the first Monday night here at 7 o'clock for first Monday prayer. Every month kicks off because we're establishing something for the month. Prayer is important. Prayer is important. Prayer is important. Our involvement in prayer must be paramount. Let me, let me, let me step. I, I didn't intend to make some of you a little uncomfortable when I get here, but your involvement, our involvement in altar calls and other methods of praying for seekers is paramount. We must, we must engage. It doesn't always come easy. Sometimes it requires discipline of I see somebody that needs prayer. Here is an opportunity to prayer, to to pray. If you are a leader in this church, if you are an elder in this church, if you are a minister in this church, if you lead in any capacity of this church, you, listen to me tonight, listen to your pastor tonight, I tonight announce that you should be active in praying with people in the altar. I know it's not everybody's personality, but we have to push through that personality. Our involvement in the altar is so very important. Over the next few months, I intentionally plan to invest in growing our altar work and our altar ministry and our prayer ministry. The culture of growth will be affected greatly by the church's ability to
we need to develop a culture of training and releasing prayer workers to go out into the harvest field. How shocking would it be for us to be a church that establishes ministry that doesn't go out and say, hey, you want to buy peanut brittle? But we go out and say, hey, we're just out in the community today. Is there anything we can pray with you about? Talking about culture. I, want to, I think we should be known as a church that cares enough about our community that we're willing to pray. Oh, I feel it in my spirit tonight. I feel it in my spirit. What happened at our last Connect Wednesday was so incredibly powerful as Brother David and Sister Jamie Townsend came and, and talked to us about brownies and Jesus and what they're doing in their community around their house. And there's others that's picking up on this and moving forward. What a powerful tool of just going over saying, hey, I'm your neighbor. Here's some brownies. Can I pray for you? And being consistent with it until doors begin to open and people start calling saying, hey, this is going on in my family. Would you pray? That is called evangelism. That is called reaching your city. It will come through prayer ministry. I would rather us be known as a praying church than anything else they can know. We have a great music ministry. We have great preachers that come in. We're known to be a church with the Awakening Conference. We have all of these things. Forget all of those. I want to be known as a church that knows how to pray and seek God. Oh, if that's you tonight, why don't you stand where you are right now and commit to the Lord. God, I want to be a praying church. I want my home to be a praying household. Lord, let me be a praying church member. Let me establish that. Come on, all over this building, you ought to lift your voice right now in prayer and declare, God, I want to be a praying person. Lord, let me build prayer in my life, in my home, in my family, in my church. Come on, declare it to the Lord right now. Oh, yes. Come on, let your prayer be heard. Let that culture of prayer come out right now on this Wednesday evening. Don't be ashamed. I'm a praying child of God. Oh, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I'm not calling you forward right where you are. Why don't you just make that area where you are familiar with prayer right now? God, this area of the church right here where I sit on Wednesday night, make this right here an area of prayer in this church. Make this area, this is a, this is a place of prayer right here. If somebody comes, sits around me, they're going to learn. This, right, this seat right here that I'm in, this is a praying seat right here. The ministry that I'm part of, it's going to be a praying ministry. We don't have to have prayer ministry because every ministry ought to be praying. Music ministry ought to be prayer ministry. Worship ministry ought to be prayer ministry. Bible study ministry ought to be prayer ministry. Whatever it is, we always got time to pause for prayer. Prayer ought to be the priority. I'll stop whatever I'm doing for prayer. We'll stop singing for prayer. We'll stop preaching for prayer. Come on, we need prayer to break out. We need prayer to break out. Make it your priority right now. Would you commit that to God? Lord, I'm going to commit to a higher level of prayer. It's going to be part of the culture of my life. Oh, yes. Come 
on, I'm the temple of God. I will be the house of prayer, Lord. Lord, make me a house. Oh, make me a house of prayer. A house of prayer. Oh, and may the fire of my altar never burn out. May the fire of my altar never burn out. May the fire of my altar never burn out. Make me a house of prayer. we thank you tonight for your word and for the inspiration of your word. Lord, I feel your spirit in this room tonight. Lord, may there be commitments that comes out of this message that I have given tonight to the hearts of your people. Lord, I pray, God, that we take these and establish these principles in our life. Lord, as, Lord, as we move forward, God, I pray that prayer becomes the priority in every home and family in every life. We love you and thank you. Be with us, Lord, all of those that are sick and dealing with trouble and trial in their life. I pray, God, that you bless them. Send healing to them. Be with us throughout this week. Keep us until we meet again. Everybody said in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Find somebody to greet in Jesus' name.